Hi, everybody. It's been a little bit, hasn't it? That's, uh, there's a very good reason for that, and it's because we have been lazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, that is basically it. I mean, we haven't really tried to schedule anything for a little while. We're working on that, but in the meantime, I've got a little something for you. That's right. Time once again for me to pay my dues to you, the audience, and do a very special, very well thought out, very planned in advance solo episode, better known as Into the Void. With me. It's been some time since you heard from any of us. I understand you're probably very upset that we had no official uh, stance or take on the submarine story from, oh, it feels like a decade ago now, although like two weeks ago. But really, what were we going to say? Something insightful? Funny? That's not what you come to us. I don't know what you come to us for, but it's not that. So we're just going to skip on past that. We'll, maybe we'll talk about it when we're all together, but honestly, it's, it's going to be old news by then. It already is. Instead of that, I would like to bring to your attention a couple of news items that I've found around the world from uh, the past couple of weeks. I'm just going to launch right into them. Reading from the BBC, the, the BBC said, I know they say Z is Z over there, which is baffling and upsetting. Do they say C is said? Is B bed? Let's assume so. Reading from the bed bed said, Italian teacher sacked, that means fired, for 20 years of absence, vows to defend herself. Uh, I'm filing this under, um, I don't really have a segment for it, but just uh, loosely organized under uh, a little folder in my brain labeled, good for you. (laughs) A teacher in Italy who was sacked for 20 years of absence in 24 years at schools near Venice has vowed to tell her side of the story. I did not read beyond the headline before I picked this for the show. Um, Hopefully the rest is as good as the headline is. Cinzia Paolina De Leo. When it's C-I in Italian, is it C or is it C? I think it's Cinzia. That's her name. Anyway, uh, Ms. DeLeo was dismissed in 2017 after she reappeared for four months and triggered complaints. See, that was the mistake. Just stay gone. Nobody's thinking about you. Italy's highest court confirmed the dismissal after a legal battle, saying her absences showed a, and I quote, permanent and absolute ineptitude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ms. DeLeo has condemned the ruling and vowed to, again in quotes, reconstruct the truth. The secondary school teacher who specializes in history and philosophy, so I'm sure she has an interesting defense, says she had documents to prove her story, whatever that might be, but told the Repubblica newspaper, sorry, but right now I'm at the beach. Perfect. A perfect alibi. <laughs> She continues, I will reconstruct the truth of the facts of this absolutely unique and surreal story, she said, adding, I don't answer questions from journalists thrown around that wouldn't do justice to the truth of my story. I like very much so far that she's alluded to this mysterious background, but refuses to give even detail number one as to what it might involve or how it would exonerate her. Loving it, loving every detail. Let's keep reading. Ms. DeLeo was reinstated in 2018 after a ruling by a judge in Venice. But the education ministry appealed against the decision, and it was reversed by the Supreme Court of Cassation last week. I don't know what that is. Cassation. Should have looked that up. Should have read this ahead of time. 
Okay, I looked it up, and it's basically what the article said earlier, the highest court. Not quite an equivalent to the Supreme Court because the system is set up differently, but basically the same thing. Anyway, uh, so the highest court in Italy said, no, you don't get to be a teacher anymore because you never really were one in the first place. Uh, The ministry argued that the teacher had kept out of the classroom for 20 out of her 24 years of service. So she had, we can say she had four years of service. We don't have to say she had 24 (laughs) if... For five-sixths of those, she was out of the building. Uh, For the first 10 years, she was completely absent. (laughs) And her absences in the other 14 years were attributed to sickness, personal, or family reasons. The court heard that in a four-month period in 2015, when she did teach in Chioggia, near Venice, students complained of her lack of preparedness, her failure to bring textbooks, and her, quote, random and improvised way of marking. An inspection found she was unprepared and inattentive, and students refused to take part in her classes as she was distracted by her phone. (laughs) I have had teachers like this, I I will say, Um, and I would have loved it if they had wound up in front of the Supreme Court trying to explain themselves or promising that they had all kinds of facts and evidence to explain themselves, um, but they would just have to wait for a little while until they were ready to uh, procure them. Her 2017 dismissal, turned into a legal battle going through an appeal and counter-appeal before finally arriving at a top court. Her defense of freedom of teaching, that's also in quotes, whatever the hell that might mean, was rejected by the court, which argued it was the teacher's responsibility to guarantee students' right to study. Describing herself now as a freelance journalist, which you might as well, nothing stopping you from doing that when you don't have a job, she told Italian media that she had documents to refute the claim that she had been absent for 20 years. What would have to be in those that would make a like a Supreme Court judge go, "Oh, I see like I don't know evidence of an alien abduction, perhaps uh, the education ministry said it would one last quote increasingly strive to ensure that the activity is teaching is carried out with adequate professionalism. I like the commitment to adequacy, not the utmost professionalism, just enough to get by. Now, this story or this type of story holds a special place in my heart because, like many, I have read stories online about people who were effectively forgotten by their jobs and continued to draw paychecks for just kind of sitting around and making money through sheer existence alone. And while I understand aspiring to that kind of existence, you know, a remora on the, the belly of society, you, it's, it's hard to fake. You, you can't just go, well... I'm going to go on vacation for two <laughs> solid decades. And when I get back, nobody better ask me any fucking questions. You got to get so lucky. You got to fall through a crack in the system. That's it. I guess what I'm getting at, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is there's no shortcuts to freeloading. <laughs> you got to earn it fair and square by winning the lottery, more or less. What on earth story is she hinting at here? I mean, I know she doesn't have one. She's making shit up and hoping that she'll have an actual answer by the time she is literally forced to say something by a reporter or a judge, more more likely, I guess. But what is she planning? Like, does she have any thought as to what it is she's going to tell them she's been up to? Because I've been in situations like this before, not in a while, because it's I I discovered pretty early on in life that um, lying and procrastinating and making shit up is actually way harder than just doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. But when I was a kid, I would do this kind of thing all the time. You know, like, hey, where's your, um, where's your project for uh, Mrs. Martinez's English class? Like, oh, um, uh, oh, I forgot that at home. 
I hadn't even begun to think about it. It wasn't on a poster board sitting on the kitchen table. It wasn't even in my own brain yet. But I'll be damned if I wasn't going to come up with something that night. But so convinced I was that I was fooling them. I didn't even think about the fact that I'd used the same exact excuse like eight times on every teacher that I had to the point that you know, it, if they would let me bring it in the next day, it wasn't because they believed me. It was just because they didn't feel like fighting it. I'm just like, all right, well, okay, I guess you get a C on this at best. So I can't help but wonder what excuses she was giving for 24 years that fooled everybody, because that's the kind of thing you would fight somebody on, especially if you're, you know, writing them paychecks, right? Like I wasn't getting paid to go to school. She was getting, she was getting paid to go to school and she just didn't. And they, I assume she kept paying her. She went to her job for one sixth of the time that she was theoretically employed by her job. How on earth do you do that? For that long, I mean, honestly, her employers ought to be investigated. I think there's some embezzling going on. How do you say embezzling in Italian? That's got to be funny. I'm gonna look that up. Ready? Give me, give me one second. Okay, I looked it up. It's not actually that funny. It's appropriazione indebita. That is more fun to say than well. No, embezzlement's a pretty good one in English. Um, the word for embezzler, though, I discovered is malversatore, which sounds way more sinister than it is. That sounds like uh, I don't know somebody who murders people by dragging them behind a horse. I do apologize for the way I sound, by the way. Um, I know last episode we were bragging about how smoke-free everything was, and boy, look at how that came back to bite us. Anyhow, on the topic of local malfeasance, I've got another news item from uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer this time, some relatively local updates. The headline, two Rhode Island officials visited Philly. Now, we're only halfway through the headline here, but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, some out-of-towners came to Philly, so the locals tarred and feathered them, beat him up, left him for dead outside the Lincoln Financial Stadium. And on any other day, you'd be right. But the headline continues, they were so rude that their state launched two separate investigations. These are the Rhode Island officials being rude by Philly standards. How precisely did they accomplish that? Well, we'll see. David Patton and James Thorson toured Bach, it's B-O-K, like the chicken sound, as part of official Rhode Island state business. Now, their actions are under review by the Rhode Island State Police and the governor. Could you imagine being such an asshole that you take one diplomatic trip and suddenly the governor has to have a report on what you said and did on it? Mm, what a life. The trouble between Philadelphia and the state of Rhode Island began in early March. That's when two Rhode Island officials came to tour Bach. I don't know. That's capital B, lowercase OK. I don't get it. It's not even an acronym or anything. Uh, Bach, the former South Philly vocational school that is now home to dozens of artists and entrepreneurs. Scout Limited, the team behind Bach, had, am I pronouncing it wrong? Is it supposed to be Book or something? Burke? Burke? Uh, had contracted with Rhode Island under a former administration to develop a long vacant state building in Providence. Hoping to convince a new administration to fund the project, Lindsay. Scanapieco, managing partner with Scout, offered to show the officials around. Sorry, I had to hesitate on that one because I've never seen a name quite like that one in my life. But the way the Rhode Island representatives allegedly behaved, the word allegedly is getting a workout in this article, I can already tell, was so, in, in quotes here, bizarre, offensive, and unprofessional that Scanapieco and colleague Everett Abitball wrote an email to a hired lobbyist documenting all that happened. The email ended up with the governor of Rhode Island. This reflects incredibly poorly on the state of Rhode Island and their leadership, Scanapeco and Abbott both said in the email, which the Providence Journal and Rhode Island TV station WPRI fought to make public. 
<laughs> Can you imagine being such an asshole that when the governor gets the report about everything you said and did on your diplomatic trip, he has to attempt to orchestrate a cover-up so that the public doesn't find out? Oh, boy. Mm. The two men sent to represent Rhode Island were David Patton, director of the state's property management division, and James Thorson, director of administration. We will not permit Patton or Thorson to return to Burke ever again, the email said. We are shocked at how this reflects on the state of Rhode Island and the lack of competence there. Now, I personally disagree with this framing. Um, I think you know as well as I do that the behavior of these two gentlemen from Rhode Island does not represent everybody from the state. But on the other hand, they do constitute about 30% of the population of Rhode Island. So maybe it is indicative of a worrisome trend. Reading on, for weeks... Rhode Island media has referred to the Philadelphia trip, a mysterious expedition during which terrible things happened. In addition to a public records battle to get access to the email, the Philadelphia trip launched two separate investigations, a criminal one led by the Rhode Island State Police and a human resources one within the governor's office. You know, I'm going to call a bit of an audible on myself here. Most of the rest of this article consists of excerpts from the aforementioned email and while I could just stick with what they provided, they also linked to the email directly in the article, and I think I'm just going to read that and restrain myself from making commentary as much as I can stand. We'll let you be the judge of what has allegedly taken place. Ready? Let's begin. This is an email from Everett Abitbull to Jeff Britt, CC Lindsay Scanapieco. Jeff. We are writing to you to outline a series of bizarre, offensive, and unprofessional actions from Director David Patton and Director Jim Thorson on their visit to Philadelphia on Friday, March 10th. We are embarrassed, shocked, and quite frankly at an impasse for how to work with people who are so blatantly sexist, racist, and unprofessional. This reflects incredibly poorly on the state of Rhode Island and their leadership. There were many off-color, bizarre, and concerning remarks, but we are going to focus on the two most egregious racist examples to hopefully shed some light on the situation. I may regret reading this. We we received a call late Wednesday, March 8th, about their visit on the morning of March 10th, and we organized an incredible day for them to truly see and understand Burke and our development approach. This was followed by a text at 12.01 a.m. the morning of their visit. See screenshot. And there's a, a screenshot here of a text conversation on my phone. Uh, I don't know what came before it, but the message begins, So am I. Please have fresh coffee with milk and sugar and the best croissant in Philadelphia ready for me upon arrival. Director Thorson likes Diet Coke. Have a cold six-pack waiting on the table in your conference room. You have three hours to convince us to give you $55 million. Then there's, uh, as a separate text, a uh, winky face emoji. <laughs> bold, bold opener. <clears throat> I promised, minimal commentary. Two of the tenants we wanted to make sure they visited were the Jefferson Wiss... Weiss, W-Y-S-S, Wiss, Wellness Center, a 5 million wellness center that is a national model, one of only two such facilities in the U.S., for primary health support for the refugee and immigrant community based at Burke, and Diadora, an Italian heritage brand founded in 1948, which is a subsidy of Geox, who has over $500 million in annual revenue, with their U.S. headquarters based in Burke. We felt it was important to show internationally renowned brands who have tenanted in our building, e.g. Diadora, and institutional and philanthropic investment alongside private development. Jefferson Wiss Wellness Center, where the Wiss Foundation, this is so, all right, I'm skipping some of this, this is too fucking boring. Uh, in both instances, we now have employees and executives of both organizations extremely angry for how they were treated and threatening to go public with the blatant racism that they experienced. Here we go. 
On our visit to the Jefferson Wiss Wellness Center, we met with Dr. Mark Altschuler, clinical leader of the center and an associate professor and physician of family and community medicine at Jefferson. Patton, one of the two Rhode Island guys, spoke in an extremely loud tone, and both him and Thorson asked questions about how they treat homeless people in insensitive ways. Questions like, do you really let homelessness here? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, in front of patients and staff. Followed by a series of questions about if they administer colonoscopies, pap smears, beds, and other questions. However, the situation escalated when after hearing Dr. Altshuler's passion for helping those less fortunate, Patton asked, when you go to the bars at night, you must have to swat off the women. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dr. Altshuler responded, no, I am happily married. Patton then asked Dr. Altshuler, <laughs> you've got some ethnicity in you? <laughs> Dr. Altshuler sternly responded, no, I do not, which is an odd answer, although it's an odd question. Um, Patton continued, then you're Italian? This is the most baffling. All right, so I said no commentary, or I said as little as I could manage. So the question was, you've got some ethnicity in you, question mark? The answer came, no. The second... (laughs) The second thing he says is, oh, okay, so you're Italian, the default, I suppose. I don't understand how anybody's brain works here. Dr. Altshuler responded, no, I'm not. Patton then asked, what is your last name? Dr. Altshuler said, Altshuler. And Patton said, where is that from? I've never heard of it. Dr. Altshuler responded, I am Jewish. To which Patton said, Mazel tov, and that he knew Jewish people in Brooklyn where he grew up. This is, it's amazing that there are people who think like, oh, ah, here's someone of an ethnic group. What they're going to want to know is that I've met other people in that group in my life. They're not with me now. I haven't spoken to them since I was a child. But they were there and I was there at the same time. No commentary. No commentary. Uh, Dr. Mark Altshuler said in his 25-year career working with people of many different nationalities, he has never experienced something this brash and insensitive. On our visit to Diodora, we explained that this was their U.S. headquarters and therefore was not a shoppable space. What a weird way to say that. So you can't buy anything there. Not a shoppable space. What a fucking real estate brain way to talk. <clears throat> no commentary. Lindsay and Everett were further down the hall with Thorson and did not hear this interaction, but were notified about it following an irate phone call from the U.S. CEO of Diodora, Brian po- This guy's last name can't be Porner. P-O-E-R-N-E-R? Brian Porner? That's his name. All right. Brian Porner, uh, at 5.12 p.m., asking us who these people were and why we would have allowed them into his space with many expletives in between. During our visit, Patton stayed speaking with an employee, and they offered him a pair of sneakers from their stock. Upon receiving the sneakers, he apparently said, are these made in China? I hope not because I really hate China. And then proceeded to direct his attention, oh God, to a female Asian staff member in the room saying, no offense, hun. The CEO is livid and has asked for their information to file a public complaint if these are government officials. He is also married to a Chinese woman and has has two half-Chinese children. These were unfortunately... Oh, there's a bulleted list coming up. Here we go. These were unfortunately only two incidents in a long stream of events that were frankly unprofessional, bizarre, and at times offensive. Other situations included asking a child care provider in the building for them to send them a copy of their state license inspection. Seems out of place says that they want lunch at the Michelin star restaurant located at Burke. Lindsay tells them it is not open for lunch and is told, well, you can call in a favor if you want $55 million in funding. (laughs) 
but we arranged for a private lunch which has never happened in the history of the project. Condescending remarks to two makers in the building, a glass blower and a vegan cheesemaker, where there were questions about paying above a minimum wage and shock that these businesses made any money or could pay rent. Patton, at almost every visit, insisted on taking something from the tenant home with him, whether that be vegan cheese, hand-blown glass, or a pair of sneakers. At each instance, when doing this, he made all very uncomfortable as he forced his requests on people who have a relationship and trust with us. At each instance of taking something, he turned to Thorson and said something to the extent of, I don't have to declare this right, in which Thorson replied, it's de minimis. De minimis meaning, I think, uh, of a value low enough that you wouldn't have to declare it on your taxes. Uh, asks the coffee shop for vanilla syrup. The owner says they don't carry vanilla syrup, only simple syrup. Followed by, well, the next time I come, you need to carry vanilla syrup. And reminds the owner four times. Telling someone <laughs> that their dog was overweight and that, quote, he knows because he used to train dogs. <laughs> Just like pointing at things like, this sucks. This is a fat dog. Get a fat ass dog out of my sight. Uh, repeatedly asking us if we hired Jeff Britt. That's the guy that they wrote this email to. And were we aware that Jeff took Director Thorson's job on a state committee and doing so in a somewhat menacing way while alluding to how bad he felt on how Jeff was then treated by the state's attorney general? I don't really know what they're getting at there, but it sounds bad. Uh, oh, this is in bold. Oh, no. What Director Patton said to our managing partner, Lindsay Scanapieco, was unacceptable and clearly sexual harassment. Oh, boy. While getting coffee just as the day began, Director Patton made comments to Lindsay directly about her appearance and going so far as to say, Lindsay, where's your husband? Why is he in Australia? Good thing you're married or I would move to Philadelphia. Uh, And if I, oh boy. And if I knew your husband wasn't going to be here, I would have come last night. (laughs) No commentary. The visit was, and this is in bold as well, frenetic. (laughs) and our team tried our best to keep the tour organized and professional. We do not understand if there's a mental health challenge underlying this behavior, drug or alcohol use, or frankly, just a complete lack of competence about how to treat and interact with people. Thorson allowed this behavior to continue to happen. Even after we pulled him aside to make note that this needed to stop. We are not sure if this was intended to try to force our hand to walk away from the project, but we are disgusted and shocked by these actions. We are also quite fed up with how the state continues to characterize this project through Thorson and Patton. This was a state RFP to improve and activate a long dormant state building, which will remain a state building. Waving $55 million in our faces as if this is what we are receiving and benefiting is insulting, misinformed, and quite frankly, attacked. Stop saying quite frankly. You used it like eight times in this email. Uh, Attacked of exerting power and control over someone that is disgusting. (laughs) Okay, back to the article at hand. Uh, Patton is currently on paid administrative leave. Was he a cop? How the hell did he pull that shit off? Thorson had submitted a letter of resignation before the trip and now works at the U.S. Treasury Department. Ah, terrific. Love that. Yeah, I love giving these people even more power and even at a federal level. In an emailed statement to the Inquirer, Scanapieco said, We want to clarify that our reporting of behavior was intended to ensure accountability for their actions and uphold our commitment to our community at Burke as an inclusive and safe space for all. She hoped doing so did not jeopardize any funding or support for the development project. An attorney for Patton, uh, he's got an attorney now, told WPRI that Patton attributed his behavior to a mental health event characterized by health professionals as an acute stress event that built up over time, which is bullshit. 
Sorry, that's that's the fakest shit I've ever heard. He said that Patton had lost his sister, best friend, and father-in-law in the three years before the trip and was humiliated, but, quote, is not going to run or hide from this. Three years before the trip? The Inquirer has reached out to the main parties involved for comment. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, we continue to thrive. Three years? That's the best defense you got? Something happened in 2019? Oh, no. Oh, it's 2023. Three years ago, it's 2020. Still, three years ago, window doesn't change. Something happened to you in 2020. Something happened to everybody in 2020, dude. We're not all saying this shit. Oh, sorry, Your Honor. I didn't mean to run up to that pregnant lady and ask if she was shoplifting a beach ball. See, what happened was my cat died six months ago. Get the fuck out of here. (sighs) Well, now that that's out of the way, time to get to the real old news. You know what I'm talking about. It's time for Municellaneous. I don't like that. I don't like how I said that. I don't feel like redoing it, though. There you go. That's showbiz, baby. I've got a really good one lined up for the next time we're all together. But uh, this week, we're pulling from the Indianapolis Star, Indianapolis, guess where, Indiana, Wednesday, June 13th, 1906. Taking it a little ways back. Might as well start on the front page, as good a place as any. Robbers fire on citizens. Post office at Penville looted in true Western style. <laughs> they used to write about these things as though they were happy to see them, which I guess they were because I mean they could fill up another quarter inch on the front of the fucking newspaper. Penville, Indiana, June 12th. And there's a blemish on the page, so I don't know what time. Looks like 2 a.m. The post office at this place was robbed about one thirty. Oh, there it is. One thirty o'clock this morning. One thirty o'clock sounds so wrong. Uh, by four masked men who came into the town on horseback, they fired several shots at the residents to keep them back. It was one thirty in the morning. What were they doing outside? Postmaster Sharp has not made an examination of the post office safe yet, but he estimates that the robbers got between two hundred dollars and three hundred dollars in cash and stamps. Robbers crave stamps. I don't really know what made them so valuable. I guess that was, well, I say that out loud. How else were you going to get a message anywhere back in the day? Everybody was craving stamps. Post office, incidentally, and this isn't super important, but it's spelled as one word in this article, in, in this whole newspaper. It pops up a few times. And that's bas- because like, when they talk about baseball, they spell baseball as two words, which looks completely fucked. Um, also from page one, another stay for Patrick. Warden of Sing Sing, glad to hear word from Justice Day. New York, June 12th. Warden Johnson of Sing Sing Prison was notified by telephone tonight, what a novelty that must have been, that Justice Day had granted a writ of error and stay of execution asked for in the case of Albert T. Patrick, and he was much relieved thereby. During his stay in the Death House, what a name for Death Row. Honestly, bring it back. Let people know what they're really doing in there. I mean, I guess Death Row kind of gives it away. Too, doesn't it? But the death house sounds so much more grim. Uh, Patrick, by his unfailing good humor and tractability, has endeared himself to all of the prison officials. This morning, when Warden Johnson passed through to begin preparations for Patrick's execution, Patrick said, There is no use of being in any hurry, Mr. Johnson. We're not all in yet, and you'll never need the chair for me. That is pathologically good humor. I would not be that chill if they were like fucking prepping the wires. So they like the guy too much to kill him, 
I don't know. There's no mention of any new evidence being brought in or if there's, they're waiting on uh, something for a, an appeal. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they're just like, we like him. Can we keep him? Uh, also from the front page, takes poison by mistake. Not as lucky as Mr. Patrick, this guy. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, we're just talking about that place. June 12th, Richard Till. Ugh, sorry about that. T- Tilghman, T-I-L-G-H man, a wealthy manufacturer and prominent clubman of this city, died today from the effects of poison taken by mistake for medicine. Last night, he swallowed, as he thought, two lithia tablets. He was taken ill, and when a physician was called, it was discovered that the tablets contained several grains of bichloride of mercury. That'll do it. I feel like there's, with the way that uh, the wellness movement has been going there are probably people taking mercury right now on purpose for some purported uh, energy benefit. I, I can't base, you know, I'm not basing this on anything, but would you be shocked to learn that? I feel like the only way we'd find out would be if some similarly wealthy industrialist, or I guess more likely a Silicon Valley type was found much the same way, you know, bobbing unresponsive in a jacuzzi or whatever, having taken a fish load of mercury, man, I'm ripping through these faster than I meant to. Um, one thing that I clip, I, I clip all of these, uh, on the website. Like I just, you can just save little snippets of the newspaper. One of them is just a portrait of a guy whose name is Charles P balls, um, B A L Z, but come on now translates really well to an audio medium, but that was a real guy's name, man about town, respected clubman, little Chucky P balls. Anyway, reading from page three, losing deal for a thief. Somewhat puzzled as to what punishment may be inflicted on a person who broke into a house and left something instead of stealing. The police are trying to locate the man who entered John Banks's saloon at Missouri and North Streets Monday night. Someone got into my place last night, said Banks over the telephone to Desk Sergeant John Corrigan. Well, what did he take? asked the sergeant. Take? Why he didn't take anything, replied Banks. He left a basket of potatoes and groceries. <laughs> the man entered the place by breaking a window at the side of the saloon. It was supposed that he was frightened away before he could obtain any valuables. Or, like me, you can choose to believe in a better world, where... Every now and again, someone breaks a window and leaves you a bunch of free food. Why would you bring the groceries with you to your B&E job? Why else, right, if you didn't intend to leave them there? I think this was, uh, this was by design. I think, I think what happened was exactly what was supposed to happen. Time to keep the lights on with a quick ad read. You, uh, this, <laughs> this one laid me out flat. <laughs> Dollar package, free. Man medicine, free. You can now obtain a large dollar size free package of man medicine, free, on request. Man medicine cures man weakness. Man medicine gives you once more the gusto, the joyful satisfaction, the pulse and throb of the physical pleasure, the keen sense of man sensation. The luxury of life, body power, and body comfort. Free. Man medicine does it. Man medicine cures man weakness, nervous debility, early decay, discouraged manhood, functional failure, vital weakness, brain, ooh boy, I think it's supposed to say fog, but that sure looks like an A, Uh, backache, prostatitis, kidney trouble, and nervousness. You can cure yourself at home by man medicine, and the full-size dollar package will be delivered to you free. Plain wrapper, sealed, with full directions how to use it. The full-size dollar package, free. No payments of any kind, no receipts, no promises. 
No promises. No promises it'll do anything? Uh, No papers to sign. It is free. All we want to know is that you are not sending for it out of idle curiosity, but that you want to be well and become your strong, natural self once more. Man, medicine will do what you want it to do. Make you a real man. Man Man-like. Man-powerful. Your name and address will bring it. All you have to do is send and get it. We send it free to every discouraged one of the man sex. Interstate Remedy Company, 313 Luck Building, Detroit, Michigan. Having looked into this just slightly, uh, I found an account from quackwatch.org, and I don't know if this is legit or not, but it's a very lengthy account of how the Interstate Remedy Company worked, and it was basically extortion. Like, if you sent in a letter in response to this ad, they would send you a batch of medicine and uh, they would send you some more letters like, ah, how's it working? How's it going? And if no matter what you said, their response was basically, all right, we're going to send this guy some more medicine and we're going to charge him six bucks for it, which was a lot uh, in 1906. A little over 200 bucks today, which no matter how many times I look up inflation statistics, it all still feels so insane. And then they would threaten you with legal action until you paid up. And obviously, you probably already realize this, but there was no actual active ingredient in any of this shit. It was just garbage, basically sugar water that cost $200. I mean, it had to be useless. What they were advertising was a cure for whatever, and nothing does that. From page three, experience in wreck. There's no location given for any of this, no byline, nothing. I assume it's recent and local, but I'm basing that on nothing. I've had a rap on the head that just about put me out of business, said H.H. Hart, contracting manager for the Nolke Richards Ironworks. Hart was one of the victims of the Iron Mountain wreck near Mango, Missouri, last Friday morning. Mango? Is that it? There's a Mango, Uganda. There's a Mango remodeling in Springfield, Missouri. I'm going with Mango, I I guess. Hart and G.F. Beckerley, also of the Nolke Richards concern. I I like when they called businesses concerns. Feels more fitting somehow. A lot of them aren't very concerning. Uh, They were returning from Memphis where they had been looking after an iron contract. Beckerley was injured also. They reached it. Here we go. Okay. That is local. They reached Indianapolis Sunday and have since been trying to get their nerves quieted down to a normal condition. Hart says the superintendent of the Iron Mountain system had his private car on the rear of the wrecked train. He was 30 minutes getting out to see what the trouble was, said Hart and he acted in the most cold-blooded way throughout. He almost refused to let me have a little whiskey for a man who was fatally injured and who needed stimulants. Now, I got a couple of questions about this. First off, it is messed up that the guy was like hanging out at the, the caboose of the train for half an hour after the train wrecks, but you were not fatally injured. You were talking to a newspaper, and... As last I checked, whiskey is not a stimulant. Uh, Anyhow, the nearest town was only three miles away, and it was three hours before this cold-blooded superintendent got assistance from the town. Uh, Some interviewer, this is an unsourced quote, it says, how did it feel to be in the wreck? The answer, how do you suppose it would feel to have someone hit you a good stiff rap on top of the head while you were sound asleep? Try the experience sometime, and you'll get a fair idea of what this wreck did to me. It is a dumb question. It does not deserve any more accommodating an answer than that. Uh, uh, William Bingleberry here for the Indianapolis Star. How does it feel to be in a train wreck? Like, what the fuck answer do you want, dude? Oh, it's like a spa day. Fucking dumbass. Jesus. Let's keep reading. You and me both. You know how to read, don't you? 
We turn now to page four. Has clue to murderer. Now this this is spelled C L, and this is the tricky part. E W. A troubling turn. I don't know when we started spelling it right, but it clearly hadn't happened yet in 1906. Has clue to murderer. Strange man is suspected. That's how you know they've really got it locked down when the uh, the best suspect that I've, they've identified is uh, some weird guy. New York detective thinks jealousy among suitors of Mrs. Alice Kinnon prompted mysterious murder of woman. Now, I don't go for true crime, as you probably are aware if you've listened to basically any episode of the show before, but uh, if it happened more than 100 years ago, I'm not too worried about uh, upsetting the affected parties anymore. New York, June 12th. The police believe they are approaching a solution of the baffling mystery of the murder of Mrs. Alice Kinnon, who was found dead on the porch of the old Stenton mansion on 189th Street, the Bronx, last Friday night, after answering the ring of an unknown caller at the old house where she lived with her aged mother. Already this sounds like an Agatha Christie novel, or depending on the circumstances, maybe a Shirley Jackson. It is also intimated that Mrs. Stenton, I guess her mom, knows more than she cares to tell of her son's whereabouts. Oh, this is definitely a Shirley Jackson. They're like, they're going to, it turns out they're vampires or something. Detective Sergeant Price announced today that he had uncovered a new clue. I don't know how else to pronounce it when it's spelled like this, involving a strange man who was seen about the Stenton place on the night of the murder and who is said to have been on intimate terms with Mrs. Kinnon for several years. Mrs. Kinnon, a married woman. Scandalous. Mr. Price, the sergeant, Uh, said that he had also established to his own satisfaction the motive for the crime. That's great. Like, well, I I like what I've got. If we find more facts, I'm just going to ignore them. Uh, The man was a white man, said Price. But further than that, I cannot describe him. (laughs) So we've really narrowed it down. We're almost there. We're in the home stretch. Uh, He was seen last Friday night by two persons who bear excellent reputation for veracity. I have reason to know, he continues, that Mrs. Kinnon had several suitors at the time of her death. Big scandal. And a big old mansion in the Bronx. Uh, further than that, I know there was considerable jealousy between some of the suitors. Now, I know a man was very attentive to Mrs. Kinnon and was lately rebuffed by her. I am in possession of other facts that make me convinced that jealousy and revenge furnished the motive for the murder. He's got his, like, Sherlock Holmes deerstalker cap on while he's announcing this to the press, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got, like, a corncob pipe There's no way he does it when he's talking like this. I am in possession of other facts that revenge furnished the motive for the murder. Who happens to be in this very press gaggle? Um, As I have said, I believe I shall be able to put my hand on the murderer. In short, there is no doubt in my mind that the mysterious stranger committed the crime himself. (laughs) So all we have to do is track down a mysterious stranger. How hard can that be in New York City? Once we locate that weird white boy... This the whole thing is going to wrap itself up. Richard Kinnon, the husband of the dead woman, has been seen by one of my men in Belmar, New Jersey. I am satisfied he knows nothing of his wife's affairs since he left her eight years ago. Huh? What? What's going on? Eight years ago, this dude leaves, but didn't get a divorce, just, just dipped. A lot of people, like in the, at the time, they would go and sue for divorce in exactly this case. I've read many <laughs> articles about it when I'm going through this stuff. Especially around this time of year, or this time of year, this time of uh, the century, they would just go out to Nevada to like a divorce ranch. That's something that happened. Look up, uh, there's a movie called The Women. It's all about that. Or um, the 50s remake, I believe it was, uh, called The Opposite Sex, which is 
worse in every way. Um, sorry, it's just it's terrible. <laughs> it's a bunch of musical numbers that all suck. Anyway, speaking of marriage, headed to page five here, a little tiny snippet of a column. Smoked while he was married. Hartford City, Indiana, June 12th. While Justice H.S. Fargo, that's a cool name, uh, pronounced the words that united him in marriage to Ida E. Frank, James M. Hummer, a farmer living east of the city, calmly smoked his pipe, and as he answered the question, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, etc., he puffed at his pipe vigorously. Hummer came from the farm to get married and wore a slouch hat and overalls. End of column. That's all you need to know. I think this paper probably could have stood to be three or four pages shorter than it is. Like, is it important that everybody be informed that this happened? I would argue no. I guess I'm glad they published it because it's giving me stuff to talk about now. Have we already hit 40 minutes? Why, yes, we have. That's a thing of beauty. Rolled out safe to blow it. Citizens of Hamilton, Indiana, stop cracksmen at work. Cracksmen being a very funny term for safe crackers. That, uh, I guess that was such a common thing that they needed shorthand for it. Auburn, Indiana, June 12th. Not a June 12th going around. At an early hour this morning, the post office, again, one word, at Hamilton was entered by burglars who, after rolling the safe out of the building, attempted to blow it open with explosives. The reports aroused the citizens. Like, woke them up. I don't think it had that effect on them. Uh, taking with them $100. Whoops. No, the citizens didn't do that. The reports aroused the citizens, <laughs> and the robbers abandoned the safe, taking with them $100 worth of stamps, again with the stamps, uh, which had been left in the drawer. The burglars made their escape in a stolen rig, the horse and harness belonging to a Mr. Lewis and the buggy to John Polesbury. I love, love, love that they had to steal a horse and carriage to make their escape. (laughs) Nobody's got cars yet because it's 1906. So what else are you going to do? At last reports, there are no clues to the thieves or the whereabouts of the stolen rig. This is the second attempt to rob this office within the last year. And at this point, they're only halfway through the year, unless they're counting June 1905, which who knows what was going through their minds. They could have been. This one's an ad that, again, looks exactly like any other column in the newspaper. It troubles me so much. Like, imagine if all of the tabula links at the bottom of like a local news article just were also formatted like the thing you just read. You know, the, the tabula, they call it tabula still? Is that who runs it? Whatever company does the things where it's like, put ice cubes in your mattress before going to bed. You'll be shocked to see why. Or like, you know, doctor begs Americans to stop eating rutabaga. You know, like a picture of a crying guy in a white coat. Those things. Building food. I have no idea how to read that. Those are the only two words in the headline. Building food. Building food. Subhead. To bring the babies around. If you're lost, that's okay. Um, So am I. When a little human machine or a large one goes wrong, already already lost, already gone. Nothing is so important as the selection of food to bring it around again. My little baby boy, 15 months old, had pneumonia. Then came brain fever. <laughs> I think this is called a fever. And no sooner had he got over those than he began to cut teeth. Being so weak, he was frequently thrown into convulsions, says a Colorado mother. Uncredited, unnamed. I decided a change might help, so took him to Kansas City for a visit. When he got there, he was so very weak. When he would cry, he would sink away and seemed like he would die. When I reached my sister's home, she said immediately that we must feed him grape nuts. 
And although I had never used the food, we got some, and for a few days gave him just the juice of grape nuts and milk. The juice? It's milk. He got stronger so quickly, we were soon feeding him the grape nuts itself. Baffling. I said baffling a lot this episode, but some truly incomprehensible word choices here. And in a wonderfully short time, he fattened right up and became strong and well. Sounds like they gave him some man medicine. That showed me something worth knowing. And when later on my girl came, I raised her on grape nuts, and she is a strong, healthy baby and has... Okay, two ways to read this. A strong, healthy baby and has been. Either she is and has been a strong, healthy baby, or she is a strong, healthy baby, and somehow, while still an infant, is a has-been. I like that one better. You will see from the little photograph I send you what a strong, chubby youngster the boy is now, but he didn't look anything like that before we found this nourishing food. And I recognize, once again, this is an audio format, so the photograph will mean nothing to you, but uh, you're not missing out on anything because there's no photograph anywhere near this article. <laughs> no, nothing enclosed, nothing attached. Just, uh, just take our word for it here at Grape Nuts. Sorry, Grape Nuts is not sponsoring. This is, this is an unrelated uh, Colorado mother. Grape Nuts nourished him back to strength when he was so weak he couldn't keep any other food on his stomach. Then it says, confusingly, name given by Postum Company, Battle Creek, Michigan. That's outside the quotes. I don't know what name is being given. I don't think any name was given. I haven't seen one name yet. Also, that that's Postum of uh, Charles, Charles, CW Post, the Post Serials guy. That guy was a freak. Look up any details about that guy's life. Uh, you, you gonna, your eyes are going to be wide open. All children can be built to a more sturdy and healthy condition upon grape nuts and cream. Ugh. Have you ever had grape nuts, incidentally? Because if you have, you will recognize these as some of the least appealing things that anybody's ever eaten. The food contains the elements nature demands from which to make the soft gray filling in the nerve centers and brain. What? A well-fed brain and strong, steady nerves absolutely ensure a healthy body. Look in packages for the famous little book, The Road to Wellville. Just a, it's a, just a bunch of word salad. This makes no goddamn sense, and I don't think it made any more sense 117 years ago. Skipping ahead to page 10. This is like the, uh, the train wreck one where it just says, his nose worries him. And then there's no details as to location. I, I assume local once again. My nose bleeds for two hours every day. <laughs> Was the statement made by a, <laughs> by a pale little man who appeared at the city dispensary yesterday afternoon and addressed himself to Dr. Reeves. The little man, why do they keep doing this to him? <laughs> call him a man the little man whatever I'm going to stick with it the little man further asserted that although he had never actually measured the blood which flowed from his nose he was positive he had bled a quart daily for two weeks it required fully half an hour for Dr. Reeves to convince the man that at the most there are only six quarts of blood in the human body and that he would now be quote as bloodless as a turnip had he bled as he asserted the man said he had been struck on the nose accidentally some time ago. I think I've solved this little medical mystery. He thankfully accepted a prescription from the intern. Intern with an E at the end. I think it means something closer to a resident these days. We're almost through it. Page 12. Pastor breaks Sunday law. Jury decides buying beer on Sabbath to secure evidence is working. 
Appleton, Wisconsin, June 12th. The Reverend A.H. Zeckel, a representative of the Wisconsin Anti-Saloon League, today was found guilty of violating the Sunday labor law. Oh, boy, what a time. Uh, by purchasing beer on the Sabbath to secure evidence that a saloon keeper had violated the Sunday closing law. So <laughs> I don't know how true this is. It's an old newspaper. You take it with a grain of salt, but I want to believe it because it's funny. So this guy uh, is trying to demonstrate that the bars are open on Sundays. and That's a crime. And he did so in his capacity as a member of the anti-saloon league by sort of being like a secret shopper and, uh, reporting the the bar to the state for breaking the law by being open on a Sunday where the state turned around and said, Oh, so you were working on a Sunday. Fuck you right to prison. And that was a jury trial too. The jury was out for under an hour. No, it was for a half an hour. Uh, they planned to appeal. The Reverend Mr. Zeckel was charged with working on the Sabbath in that he labored by buying beer to secure evidence. So if he'd just gone in, bought a six pack, brought it home, had a chill time, Nobody would have gotten any trouble. He had to go and be a snitch about it. Lesson learned, one hopes, but he's appealing, so probably not. I say he's appealing like this is happening now. Uh, I wonder if there's a way to find out how this all shook out eventually. Maybe. Give me one moment. Well, I searched for 45 seconds and I found nothing, so we're moving on. Is a frog animal or bird? <laughs> Some think it is neither, but question must be decided. <laughs> It was, it was a different time. People didn't know things. New Orleans, Louisiana. A most unusual question in classifying frog skins as freight. The kinds of issues people dealt with. Was today asked of the freight agents of several railroads in this state by their rural agents. The question is whether a frog skin shall be classed with wild animals' hides, bird skins, fish, or in a class by itself for which double rates shall be charged. Dealers have had the skins shipped under each of these headings, but so large has become the industry of sending them east for manufacturing to covers for women's pocketbooks that more uniformity is demanded. There was that big an outcry for frog skins? For, for pocketbooks? That was the most fashionable thing we could do. Skin a frog for me, and I'm going to wear it around town. And people are going to say, God damn, I got to get one of those. The extreme lightness of the commodity has contributed to the confusion in classification. What does that mean? Ah, well, if it's light enough, then it should be able to fly like a bird. Therefore, we'll ship it with the birds. No! Too cheap! I want to make money off of this venture. What the fuck is going on? Page 12. Again. Falls from parachute. Dies. <laughs> you can't beat him for brevity, folks. Fatal accident occurs at Old Settler's Picnic near Parker, South Dakota. Now, there's a word in this article, don't, not a racist one, don't worry, uh, a word that I'm going to dwell on once I hit it, so bear with me for that. Parker, South Dakota. During a balloon ascension at Monroe this afternoon, Bert Ward, not the Batman one, the aeronaut, fell from the parachute and was instantly killed. If I had a nickel for every time I read an article that's a thumbnail long about an aeronaut dying by falling out of some kind of contraption, I would have $5,000. People would go into this field of, I don't even want to say study. I don't think they were studying anything. I think they were building gizmos, climbing up to several hundred feet, and then leaping out of them and dying. It, it's not a viable way to live your life unless you don't plan on living beyond you know 
the next couple months after you declare yourself an aeronaut. The occasion was an old settler's picnic. I don't know what that is. It's hardly the most interesting thing in the article. Ward was 45 years of age and had been an aeronaut for 20 years. Unusually long-lived, I would say. I'm doing this, I'm saying this without looking, but I'm pretty sure if you go to the Wikipedia page that is list of inventors killed by their own inventions, comfortably 50% of them would be aeronauts. Just I think the cover image, or like the, the main one on the on the page is some French guy in a getup that looks like he made it out of umbrellas that he strapped himself into and leapt off the Eiffel Tower with, assuming that it would make him fly like a bat, I guess, and uh, predictably just splattered himself on the pavement right there in front of a bunch of tourists. My point is, I think despite this guy's 20-year career, which is shocking, frankly, uh, I I believe that the barriers to entry of uh, aeronautica were extremely low. Well, that's the old news roundup taken care of, out of the way. I got one more segment for you that I guess I'm just going to handle unilaterally here. What choice do I have? I'm going to tell you how weird something is. Are you ready? Boy, I hope you are. This is going to be a quick one. This comes to us courtesy of Quora dweller Jay Schultz, who asks, Is it weird if I ask my wife to pay me for doing the dishes? Yes. That one's an easy five out of five. What the fuck is your problem, dude? Unless you're like, if she manages payroll at the restaurant you both work at, that's one thing, but I doubt that's what's going on. I don't think you would ask the question. Also, if if she's withholding your paychecks, that would be uh, troublesome, but I'm guessing this is a more domestic situation, in which case you shut the fuck up and do the dishes. What is wrong with you? I guess if you're trying to get her to leave, maybe that'll work. Is that your goal? I hope so. For her sake. Fuck me. I sure as shit wouldn't want to hang out with you. Anyway, that's going to do it for me this week. We almost made it to a full hour. We. I. I almost made it to a full hour all by myself under my own power and the writings of several people, most of whom are long dead. Thanks, everybody. Never Better is produced by me. We are distributed by no one. And our theme music is Never Too Much by Luther Vandross. In any case, hang tight and you'll hear from us again soon. See you next time, everybody.
nobody else to ever love me You are my shining star, my guiding light, my love fantasy There's not a minute, hour, day or night that I don't love you You're at the top of my list cause I'm always thinking of you I still remember in the days when I was scared to touch you How I spent my day dreaming, planning how to say I love you must have known that I had feelings deep enough to swim in That's when you opened up your heart and you told me to come in Oh my love A thousand kisses from you is never too much And I just don't want to stop Oh my Never too much, never too much, never too much. 